Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 368. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we hike up our sleeves for a third indictment. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad. And if I had a dollar for every time this former president was indicted, I would buy a popsicle. Today, we're going to very briefly touch on that. We'll also look at some of the conservative protests of Barbie. We'll look at legacy admissions. And finally, how to feel happier at work when quitting isn't quite an option. Today, folks, it's an all-star panel. Um, I was saying earlier, it's one of those panels where I could just like sit back and relax because I'm with the pros. Joining us for the one millionth time, it is writer, comedian, actor. You've seen him on stages across America. He's such a brilliant comedian, such a brilliant writer, and he's one of my favorite people. It is the one and only Benari Lee Poulton. Hey, Benari. Hey, thank you. You know what? I really just only come on the show now for the ego boost. It just makes my day. <laughs> I just, I just need, I just need an intro from you, and I'm happy. I mean, call me and. Anytime. I am happy to deliver because I mean it. And I am so excited about this next panelist. You've heard them on the show again one million times since the beginning. Um, they are just like one of these people that you can depend on to have the hottest of takes, the most brilliant of 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 um, insights, uh, a writer, a podcaster. I subscribe to both of their podcasts. Um a filmmaker, folks, just like multi, multi hyphenate. It is the one and only Gabe Dunn. Hey, Gabe. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Love to be um, back. It's funny that you should mention the intro, Bernard, because actually I got the kindest uh, Instagram message today. And I can't remember who it was from, and I can't even find the message. I actually tried to look for the message, but it was recent. So whoever you are, thank you for sending this message. But they specifically talked about the introductions. <laughs> Is there like, you're so excited about the panelists, it makes me feel excited about the show in general. And I was like, great, that's what I want. I want you to love the people I love. You are the um, Josh so Gondelman of introductions. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. Like if you need an introduction, a just cut. a daily intro from the Dean and that. Yeah. 
minutes and that'll get you through the day. That and then a pep talk from Josh. And now you've just covered everything. Exactly. By the way, I have done one of his pep talks, um, which was like we it was an explosion of positivity on that episode. Um, Before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners that you could go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farside. We do bonus episodes of the show um, on our Patreon feed. So you subscribe for very little money. You get bonus episodes. It's really fun. There was recently an episode about a dude who had pet rats and that shit is wild it was very interesting um and uh and anyways i'm so i want people to hear it because i want to know everything that everyone feels about pet rat having i had Um, one as a kid oh my god (laughs) i don't i feel as first of all i feel like you should have it included that in some sort of introductory email when first we met years ago yeah rat girl (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Rat girl, Rat girl to trans guy pipeline. Guess what's going in the intro <laughs> next time? I know, and I know, exactly. <laughs> um, so go to patreon.com slash Nikki Forsyth to support the show. And now let us get into it with topic number one. We are going to cover some dumb stuff. Um, first of all. <laughs> so the indictment. As a, <laughs> let's start with the indictment. I mean, get for okay, so just for listeners who don't know, and I mean, maybe you don't know because there's so many indictments. How can you keep track? Former President Donald J. Trump was charged with four counts in connection with his efforts to subvert the will of voters in 2020. Um, I don't know. Federal charges do not bar Trump from running for president. So that's still happening. Oh, my God. Um, this is indictment number three, as I mentioned. And as sequels go, uh, it kind of lacks the luster of indictments one and two. Um, but I don't know. Tell me, how do you feel, Benari, about said indictment? I mean, it's dumb. It's dumb that he, you know what? His criminality is offensive on a level that is, I think, unseen in American history. Because most criminals that operate on this scale have a sense of shame at some point. Mm. At some point, there is a sense of, I don't want history to remember me like this. And that's usually the final straw. That's what did Nixon in. Nixon didn't want history to remember him as a crook. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he believed that if the president did it, it wasn't a crime. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump has taken, if the president does it, it's not a crime, to the most absurd degree where he's just openly doing crimes, then bragging about it. And if you look at the indictments and the, and the, the seriousness of the charges... They would, no one would ever bring a charge like this against a former president unless they have hours and hours of tape and documented verification of the man himself saying, I'm doing crimes, I'm doing this. I know they're crimes, I like that they're crimes, and I'm going to go do it. And the overthrowing of, of, the, of the government subverting democracy, subverting the will of, uh, the, the, will of the voters... You know, he proudly is doing that and he can't even claim that he didn't know about it because people said, hey, you can't do this. And he's like, yeah, I can. And so and then and to get to the state of mind, well, maybe he thought that they were wrong. At some point, he says, yeah, I just want to do it anyway. I know it's wrong and I want to do it. So like this guy has checked every box about being a criminal where at some point, like, that's it. It's just breathtaking. Yeah. And and it's funny, Gabe, there's like handwritten notes um, from Mike Pence about Trump's relentless goading, you know, there's um, the 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 indictment accuses Trump um, and his allies of exploiting um, the disruption caused by supporters uh, with the attack on on the Capitol uh, to the further spread claims um, and persuade members to persuade members of Congress to further delay the certification of votes. Uh, basically, the the entire thing is about like all the stuff around January 6 kind of boils down to he was trying to get in the way of Congress doing its job, which is a, cr- a criminal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gabe, what, how do you feel? Uh, I mean, it's wild that you could still run for president while under federal charges, but it's just this continued frustration of like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The people that support him will support him. It doesn't really change anything. Nobody is. I think anybody who's like a hardcore Trumper isn't going to like change their mind at this point because they believe the government is against him anyway. It's really biz- like it's just this bananas thing where like I I mean, I 
I'm 35. Like, I remember, you know, Howard Dean getting kicked off for screaming. Like, I, you know, like, I remember, like, all this stuff that was that was so scandalous. And now somehow we've ended up here. Like, it's really all the stuff that they accused Hillary Clinton of is like what they're doing or what we were so uh offended as a nation that you know gore and bush and and the votes and blah 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 and like now it's like whatever like we got slowly uh, uh like abusive relationship where by the time you're you're towards <laughs> yeah. the end you're like i don't know this seems normal right right well that's such a, a great point because you know part of the reason why this isn't uh a deal breaker for running for president is because other countries use criminal investigations to go after political opponents and prevent them from serving in the government. So like if you're in Russia and you want to run against Vladimir Putin, he can throw you in jail and now you can't run for government. Oh my God. And, and because that's what, that's what other countries like that do that. Those are, that those are autocratic, you know, governments. And so when our founders crafted the, and that was a big thing back, you know, in the time when they had Kings, um, when they were under the Kings. So our founders were like, we don't want, we don't want political, uh, you know, investigations to to prevent people from serving in government. Right. So there was so there was a good reason to do it, but that loophole has been exploited by actual criminals now. Yeah, and and it used to be as as you were saying, like that it was a deal breaker for the voters. That sometimes just the investigation would be enough, or doing the crimes in public would be enough. Right. But but to his base, to his supporters, this is a selling point. Yeah. And that's the scariest thing to me. And can the, I, the, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, it's not, it's not, um, it's not dissuading his base, base, base. It is, we'll see, you know, we'll see. There's still a lot of time. But I just want to end this by talking about a fun side story where Trump, basically his PAC started out with $105 million last year and is now only $4 million left and has been asking for refunds of money that it has been do- donating to other pro-Trump um, super PACs. Because they spent all, they're spending all the money on legal fees. They're not even really mm. spending it on campaigns, on the campaign. So it's just really um, hilarious to me. A little fun side note about what's happening there. Um, here's another piece of dumb news, or is it really important news? I don't know. As of Tuesday, we can no longer buy incandescent light bulbs. Oh, I Sorry, saw that. Tommy Edison. Yeah. Why? Um, I mean, you know, because they do, they're not energy efficient, and you can get the same shit way way more energy efficient from an led bulb mm. uh i mean in in the the interesting thing in reading about this is that it was um it was george w bush that was trying to get this going uh and this was before, this was in the time in the early 2000s where and and for very very many decades conservatives were really pro environment um, and conserving the environment so stuff like this was very popular uh, it wasn't until I think it, the 2000s and the Tea Party and all that stuff that we that they turned into the anti-environment party um, so it's funny to think this this ban on incandescent light bulbs started from one of the most famous, uh, Republican presidents. So, uh, and here it is. And, and Trump rolled it back, obviously, and Biden rolled it forward. And here we are. Um, uh, interesting. It, yeah. it, now that you're saying that about uh, conservatives, it makes total sense because it would, to be very pro-environment would would make sense because they want to conserve land and their bases probably yep. are rural and have land and, uh, you know, they're, they're patriotic. So we got to keep the national parks clean and all that stuff. Uh, so it is kind of strange, yeah, that they pivoted to like, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It, it, <laughs> well, I guess oil took over reason. and they're like, fuck a park. We want oil. Um, well, the other fun thing about like energy efficiency and stuff like that is one of the places where, first of all, Texas has more renewable energy than any state in the union. Like, yeah, also hilarious to me. Um, ranchers are really into like kind of putting up windmills and selling the energy back to the grid and all that mm. stuff. They want to be self-sufficient. They want to have um, they want to have energy sources that aren't um, subject to the women fancy of futures trading. Mm. And so this gives them that kind of stability. Um, also, there's that whole rugged. I don't I don't need anyone. You know what I mean? Right. I can be alone on the, if you're on talking the ranch. 
talking about or whatever. If you're talking about rugged individualism, you should mm. be energy efficient and environmentally yeah. conscious Love because it's it, like yeah. if you're really living off the land, right? You you get what you put in, so you have to take care of the land, and the land takes care of you. And yeah. if you don't want to like pay the man lots of money to to make sure your lights turn on, you want to take care of it yourself. You should be going to renewable energy and wind yeah. and, and like, other and and solar power and other things like that. Yeah, this should be a selling point to libertarians totally. and to rugged individuals. And it is. I mean, that's the funny thing is it, it it is. There's like these pockets of people out there. And so it's just sort of like getting the rest of the Republicans <laughs> on board with what these pockets already know to be true. Um, OK, so that's the incandescent light. But let's talk really quickly about how some conservatives aren't happy about Barbie, um, <laughs> they, which is funny because I finally saw the movie. I'm a part of America now. Have you guys seen the movie? I did. Yeah. Did you, Benari? I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it this weekend. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, at least you have a plan because otherwise I was going to have to revoke your passport. But um, no, I I haven't seen um, uh, so I haven't seen that. Nor have I seen Oppenheimer. We won't spoil anything, (laughs) but you can imagine um, what one of the things that that the conservatives say is that it's woke or anti-man. And everyone's favorite Ben Shapiro set some dolls on fire in protest, which I thought was funny because I think if you like breathe in those fumes. Yeah, It'll make you sick. Uh, but so, so more you've of seen that, the, please. <laughs> you've seen the movie. Warn us if you're going to spoil anything. But Gabe, what do you think of these protests? Uh, I mean, it, the lighting dolls on fire is extremely funny. I, you know, <laughs> I liked it. I, I think there was a lot of stuff that was very, uh, con- like, congratulations, white feminism type situation. Sure, uh, sure. Which is sort of funny because I feel like it felt almost like out of time like it felt like wow are we in 2012 this is wild um in some ways mm-hmm. and it's also interesting to watch as a as a trans guy because I think it's like fun but also I was like I, I don't know there's certain things that were just very uh, like I don't know why you know I didn't expect it to have a sort of nuanced leftist view but um but yeah I, I liked it I enjoyed it but I also understand that it's a it's made by a toy company. It's you know Mattel isn't exactly <laughs> yeah. the best. Um, there was some stuff. There was I, I'm gonna spo- I can't spoil it, but there was some certainly something towards the end that I felt a little jolt about as sort of a a trans guy. Um, I can't really spoil it, but I guess if you've seen it, you might know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know. I uh, you know, and then I saw I saw Oppenheimer. And I also read a really great Twitter thread. Don't spoil the of, ending of that for me, oh, please. So, <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of uh, people on, you know, Twitter talking about uh, indigenous people and Latino people talking about the ways in which it glosses over the communities in Los Almas that were um, affected by the bomb being set oh, off. That's so, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, like, right, like hey, you hate to be a bummer, but then you're like, well, Mattel's labor practices, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. The movie was fun. I don't I just I don't think if you're like extremely politically left, don't go into it with high expectations. Well, and also, I mean, yeah, like, why would you go into any summer tentpole blockbuster movie with expectations that your nuanced political feelings are going to be reflected in sure. this movie that's but meant I mean, to be popcorn munching? You know what I mean? Yeah, like this, but I mean, like, I mean, like, it's not so it's it's in this candy coating, right? We're like mission impossible is very clearly like we, this, we are sort of right wing. And like, even like some (laughs) of the Marvel movies are like, we are a little bit right wing. Like, so you, you get this sort of sense. Um, but this has got a little bit of like a, it's like putting, you know, your medicine. It's like, yeah, it's got a little bit of, uh, this is all fun and games, which like it is, it's amazing that Greta Gerwig has made this film and that it's doing so well. And, it's I'm certain like, you know, I've seen people say it's helping them embrace their femininity and like I totally get it. And it was a fun film. But yeah, right. I, I don't I, some of it feels pairing it with Oppenheimer, like a lot of it feels sort of weirdly sinister to me. But maybe I'm just very I, I mean, I think the marketing is very sinister, but yeah, that's what it took yeah. to get people. I think that the uh, the morbid curiosity and fascination is what got people into the theaters. And, yeah. you know. I also, and, love, and I, I also love going to the so, movies. I love the cinema. Yeah. I would have seen Oppenheimer by myself, except a friend came with me. Like, I love get, getting the popcorn, sitting down. Like, the fact that the movies are back is amazing. Look, oh, what, my what God. I, that's, what I, I mean, really, that's the other thing. If you 
want to talk about yeah. the number one thing that this movie is promoting. It's naked capitalism. But also, but I love the movies. God you bless. know, so so I'm sort of like, <laughs> hey, Matt Gates's wife Ginger, who has been tweeting up a storm about hating this movie. Um, like, don't you love just the money part of it, which is like, but, uh, but the, it's you not know what su- I mean? Like, that's but it's not the- surprising that they are protesting a movie that is. Um, you know, more that masquerades as a popcorn summer flick that's mm-hmm. secretly sneakily subversive and satirical and takes the, you know, takes your expectations and subverts them and makes them feel uncomfortable because they went in wanting to be, you know, told that like plastic Barbie and plastic Ken are what America is. And then they come out of it being told like, aha, we got gotcha. you. Like we tricked you. And, you know, that makes them uncomfortable. Anything that makes a conservative think in the movie theater mm-hmm. makes them uncomfortable. If they if they come out thinking something slightly different than they went in thinking, yeah. they get so mad. Well, I mean, I know everyone's wondering what did Piers Morgan have to say about all of this? <laughs> he had to say, if I made a movie mocking women as useless dunderheads constantly attacking the matriarchy and depicting all things feminist as toxic bullshit, I wouldn't just be canceled. I'd be executed. Oh, my God. Um, so, I mean, I don't I don't think it's spoiler okay, well, to say that, like... Sorry, they 100 ma- they, years of movie making. I know, but also... <laughs> It's it's also like I don't know why doesn't this movie do whatever this movie's doing and then whatever movie you want to see that doesn't do that thing then you go see that other movie that's the 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 a, a lot of the criticism has been like I wanted more you know more material about celebrating faith and family or whatever and I'm like well then mm. this is not the movie it's about a fucking doll yeah. what are you talking about then you Kirk need to go Cameron see a different movie Kirk Cameron puts out a movie every right. two every months year, where you get that. I mean you've got your Stuff. All right, folks, let me know. Um, what what do you think about the conservative? It's also I also just want to say the conservative backlash doesn't feel like it's like sticking in a real way no. again because, because we people just, like it. It's fun because and popular. people like it, it's fun. They want to put on their pink outfits. You know what I mean? And like yeah. what part of me is just like, who cares about all of the political ideology that it may or may not be addressing? Just have a good time and put on your pink outfits. Let's go back to the movies, everyone. Let's go back to the movies. It's so fun to remind me of my childhood. It's fantastic. (laughs) Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. That's right. Someone said that before. I don't know who. All right. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll continue. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things. And I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money. And because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back and we're ready with topic number two. Some call it legacy admissions. Some call it affirmative action for the privileged. It's a practice that is 100% in place in the country's most elite institutions, um, institutions that have an outsized role in American life. Uh, so let me just give you some some data here. For example, children of alumni who are usually well off already are nearly four times as likely to be admitted as other applicants with the same test scores. Now, the obvious take that legacy is bad is fair. We, we talked about this very little bit when the Supreme Court decision on affirmative action came out. Um, and I doubt that either of you will argue with that. I don't know. Maybe you will. But my question is, um, legacy type mobility courses through so much of life and not just American life, like literally, literally everywhere in every country life. Um, you accept people, you bring them in because you know their families or their friends that comes through a network of recommendation. And this me- this is for every level mm-hmm. um, of working. Uh, so, so what do you think of um, attacking legacy admissions in that light? I mean, I think that if you're going to take away the mechanisms that were put in place to level the playing field to adjust for the default that is legacy admissions, then it's fair to go after legacy admissions. Fine, you took away the mechanism that 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 balances things out. You you you've you've replaced an a, a, an inherent imbalance in the system because the fact is that legacy admissions on, you know, look, it's always who you know, no matter, like you said, all facets of life. A lot of it is, you know, relationship building. It is uh, building up, you know, family reputation. It is building up. Uh, uh, th- so there's a lot of reputational capital that's mm-hmm. that's there. That's one of the benefits of supposedly leading a good productive life is mm. that you also benefit your ch- your children benefit from living a good life and doing the right things and doing it the right way. So, you know, the whole idea, though, that you that we ignore that that's a that that totally benefits privileged people or that that is even a privilege um, does a disservice to to everything. Um, and so I think that that if you're going to say, well, we can't, you know, provide equal opportunity to people who don't have those benefits, we don't provide, you know, we're, we're going to get rid of those mechanisms that help, you know, women who were prevented from going to certain colleges from, um, you know, people of color who were prevented from going to colleges. Mm-hmm. So they don't have that legacy, legacy yeah. of, of my father went here, my grandfather went here, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if you're not going to balance that out, then you don't get that benefit either. That's the only way to level the playing field. And we're taking away that benefit from you. Yeah, but they'll just do it secretly anyway. Like we saw with the college admission scandal and everything like that. um, They'll just do it anyway. You know, it was not even a question when I was growing up. It was like when you were applying to college, it was like, well, apply to where your parents went because they'll, you know, they'll take that into account. Whereas like, you know, then friends of mine who were DACA recipients or who, you know, didn't have that, uh, that was not an option for them. So, I, I mean, I think they'll just take a back channel. You know, it's it's pessimistic to say, but like if they get rid of it, they'll the, the same people will just be like handing little cash over for a library and <laughs> getting the same benefits. Well, then maybe we should backdoor um, equal opportunity. And I don't know how you do that. We're we're in like an underground railroad where like privileged (laughs) people take someone, take people who are like very deserving, but don't have those opportunities and just start inserting them to all these like private parties. They're just like, why? Who's that on the yacht over there? That guy's not a billionaire's son. Dangerous. (laughs) That person, that, that, that is, Blow it up. We'll never see that person again, honestly. It'll be like White Lotus on the He'll be moving into the dark side. Yeah, no, it'll be really... Yeah. Oh, you're just saying they'll be eliminated. Jesus uh Christ. Oh, my God. Dark. 
Wow. Well, that's dark. I, you know, I just thought they would be like, ooh, this private jet is nice. I don't ever want to go back to regular life. Oh, my God. <laughs> I yeah. will adopt these um, ethics. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've gotten fam. a taste and now it's over. Yeah. I, I think like I think that it was – I've never even questioned legacy. Like I've never even thought uh, – I've understood – you know, uh, paying off schools and getting rid of affirmative action and all that bad stuff. It truly has never occurred to me until that like this, because I never, I, I think like when you don't grow up with that sort of thing, you just take it for granted sometimes that rich people have advantages and you're just sort of like, yeah, they do. But, and that I think maybe is how it, you, any sort of revolution or any sort of asking for change gets beaten out of you. <laughs> Cause I was just like, but that's how it works. Um, well, and I just don't have it. <laughs> right. Um, here's OK. So here's another side of it, which is what do we say to black and brown families who are like, finally, I made it into legacy circles like we've been around a few decades or whatever. Ugh. My kid can't get that same advantage. And I got to be honest, I did have a millisecond of this thought, which is I didn't have legacy to bolster any of my applications. But my child could and like, mm. the, you know, which is, again, that's horrible and gross and I shouldn't believe in it and I don't believe in it, right, technically. But also, like, why, why don't I get to? That's why you went through all that. Why don't you get to benefit? <laughs> why if, don't I get to? If, why doesn't if, my kid get it then? Of course, for, you're right. I mean, that's such a that's such a fucking perfect point of like, of course we come up to the point where we've finally given people who didn't have the benefit of that for centuries. And we're yeah. the first generation of people that do, that otherwise yeah. wouldn't have. And then we're, <laughs> we're not only taking away the ladder yep, to, of how you. they got there, but also like any of the benefit of doing it in the fucking first place. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. Classic. I mean, I don't know. Gabe, what do you think? I... <sighs> I don't know. I can't. I don't want to speak to people of color because I'm white. I don't want to speak to, um, you know, I understand like it's so hard because it's all it's all this American dream bullshit that keeps getting uh, foisted on people. And then, of course, you know, the person gets out and they can't get a job and they have student loans because they went to a very fancy school or, you know, it's it's this I would I would like to dismantle the entire structure and I feel I feel very I feel like there's been more and more push towards like you don't have to do this kind of Ivy League thing. You don't have to go to this big school. But then I just I just did an interview for my show Bad With Money with a career counselor who talked about how people still look at where you went to school down to and she is a black woman named Natasha Scott. And she was talking about that, you know, if you went to a historically black college or university, they'll clock that on your resume. Or if you went to Harvard, they will clock that. And I was like, we're still doing that. Oh, Although, I mean, but can I look, I, just, I have to be 100 percent honest. I've been in the position of hiring people. I know that both of you have as well. Yeah. And I also look, where did they go to school? It, I, it's I sort haven't. of I, it. It. Not that it it determines whether or not I hire that person, but like it does say something about the the fact the fact that they completed a thing and where did they complete that thing? It is it is of note. It's interesting. I don't. I hope that I. And this is the the other huge part of the problem is the culture of hiring, right? So it's like okay, there's this culture of of um, college admissions, but then the other thing is the culture of hiring, which is. Obvi- we, we've all grown up in the same system. Me, with the best of fucking intentions, you know, with family who were like refugees who had to come through the system and get college d- degrees despite literally everything being against them. Mm-hmm. Looking at a resume and be like, oh, so they went to such and such school. Okay, noted. You know, because um, so, so much of everything runs on vibes. The hiring process, mm-hmm. the like, you know, staffing process, all of that is like, who do I want to work with or who do I want to spend time with? And when the people in positions of, of power are doing the hiring, they're going to like the people that have a similar background to them. That's really Ugh. what it's about, you know. And so if, we, if we're not diversifying the, the highest rungs, the problem is never going to be fixed because those people at the highest rungs are always going to default to hiring the people that are most like them that they're most comfortable with and that they know because they're a good guy right and that's the that's the other thing about the 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 vibes aspect of it is schools want to create a community that's that's um sustained over the long term 
You know, they want people to feel a strong alumni connection. They want so people- So that they donate. So that they right. donate, so that the school continues to be support, supported and bolstered by its mm-hmm. alumni over decades. Yeah. So, you know, it that's, that's the other thing that the school wants and legacy helps them get there. So I under, I mean- I understand from a university's perspective them being like, well, how are we how will we make up for this gap that may emerge because people are not going to feel the same way about donating money. We all just have to collectively as as Gabe said, like just be like fucking doesn't matter. We don't care. No. We don't <laughs> care. We don't care. It doesn't right. matter. Like go yeah. go to a good place, I you know, go to a place that wants you. Yeah, you know, the, whole, right. the whole you. thing is just um, a racist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's all and it I, is. can I also say one thing, which is that it's the, the other thing about it, this kind of elitism is that you know, like inflation is supposed to keep you know we have an inflation score and we re we recalculate things so like tuition goes up based on inflation or based on other things or whatever obviously it's outpaced inflation so never mind that was a bad example but the cost of things go up based on inflation um the amount of stuff increases based on population right so like theoretically like housing should increase because there's more people whatever right like public transport with New York City we see increases based on increase in population like that's very fucking normal now the population of the America has gone up a bunch since these institutions were founded but the number of people that they accept and that they educate does not go up right so Harvard still only takes in X number of people and educates Mm -hmm. X number of people so so part of the problem is it becomes increasingly elite increasingly ridiculous to get in and then our perception of what is a top tier school i don't know why this is the case but hasn't it broadened right, right. there aren't now a few harvards there's still just harvard i mean obviously there's like um you know yale and all these other schools or whatever but like it's like our our understanding of Ivy League, I think it's called like Ivy League Plus or something, and it's just a universe of like 20 schools. Why isn't that 40 schools? Like just numerically, it has to be larger. Our, our understanding of elite schools has to be larger to actually reflect that we're more number numerous in people, you know? Because really the elite know. schools want to keep it elite. Because they want to keep it elite. That's it. They want the pool because as the pool increases, their cachet goes up because you're like, look how elite we are. We're even right. more elite than oh, we were even more elite. Years, even yeah. more elite. I don't know. And, I yeah. went to school in Boston and I met kids from Harvard and they weren't that special. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't. Like it would it would be that they they yeah. would just they were so driven to get I think the whole system needs to be rethought because the, the kids that I met, they were so driven to get into Harvard. And then once they got to Harvard, I would be like, what do you want to do with your life? And none of them fucking knew. So right. they're, I mean, they're not they're yeah. not that. And they, they worked really hard. Either they'll come out with a bunch of student loans or they just coasted in there because of their families and their money. And then they're like, I don't know. And I was like, you guys have nothing to say. And every single person at a vocational school knows what they're going to do. So fuck off. I mean, that's the case for a liberal arts degree in general. I, but you know, it, but like Harvard, no, because I went to a liberal arts. The, the liberal uh, arts kids at least know they want to major in, in liberal arts. The Harvard kids were like, well, we got to Harvard and now we'll just do cool business. I don't know. Like it's, they weren't, they were not driven in the same way. I'm telling you. I mean, sadly, I know a lot of people who went to Harvard who are, in fact, extraordinarily driven, really smart. All right. and I get that they were there, why they were there, but I also can. I've also seen people. I, I, I think the thing is, no one is special at anywhere. <laughs> if, that, if there's one takeaway from this, it's that no one is special. No one is anywhere, special, and nobody I mean. cares what you do and where you go <laughs> and who you are. That's exactly right, Benari. That's the point I feel like we've all been driving towards. No one is special. Folks, let me know what you think. Um, Are you here's here's my main question. Do you feel like if you were someone such a person to donate to your school, would you feel less inclined to donate to your school if meant that it had no bearing on your children going there. I don't know how, if that's a calculation people make when they donate to their schools. Let me know. I'm so curious. Hit me up 
And now let us move on to topic number three. We read a piece in the Times called How to Feel Happier at Work When You Have the Urge to Quit by Christina Karen. And this headline really resonated with me because we talk a lot about having the agency to leave a job and the discourse Mm -hmm. is always around that. Like, you know, leave a job. You're not happy there. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that a lot of of Americans face is that they can't actually leave a job. Maybe not just right now. Maybe they have to do a lot of shit to prepare to be able to leave a job. So... What do you do to get through it? Now, before we get into what this article is proposing, um, have you ever felt like you were at a job and you couldn't leave, and you but you needed to somehow make yourself happier there? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. I mean, there were <laughs> there were so many places that I was miserable working at that I would have to figure out how to make it at least bearable in some way. It was. It was uh, uh, whether it was like having headphones on and being able to maybe listen to music or something while I was right, 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 like working or little creature comforts. Yeah, it was like really. There were a lot of them that were really soul crushing. Like when people are like, "It's just your job." I'm like, "You don't understand. You spend so much time there. Like it's really, really." Um, it really, really affects you the rest of your life completely. And like there, you know, my show again, like I hate to say bad with money again, but like we just we've done episodes on um, quiet quitting, which is just basically doing your job, which I don't know why they gave it a new name. But also <laughs> uh, the woman we spoke to, Julia Keller, she wrote a book called uh, Quitting. And the the thing is that they were saying quitting is she's saying quitting is good, actually. Um, but if you can't do that, you can sort of do a thing at your job, which is just do the bare minimum, make sure that you're, you know, taking care of your mental health first and foremost, and not like feeling like you have to rush or go out of your way to do things if you're not going to be monetarily rewarded for those things. And also that it's okay to be looking for other jobs or be doing side hustles or be looking for other things while you're still in the current job. And Like, I hate this idea that, like, if you get caught doing that, it's like, oh, my God, we're a family. How could you betray us? So, like, don't 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 get caught. But, like, don't think about it as, like, some sort of moral failing or betrayal if you jump ship. You know, I think that we've been taught that. um, And, you know, that's why people do things and stay late for no for no promotion or no other reason because people they're so scared of confrontation or someone being disappointed in them when it's like they're not your they're not it's not a family it's a business Benari what do you think well, not to be all Nagin in Paris here, but um, when I was in <laughs> Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> oh, he can't stop talking about his service in the military. God. Uh, and of course, my opinions are my own and in no way reflect those of the United States Army, the United States government, our, uh, you know, uh, allies, real or imagined. Uh, but uh, when I was deployed, um, uh, the, you know, there's, I had to be there. And it was like I was leaving my civilian career. I was, I was, it was interrupting, you know, me trying to become rich and famous and a funny comedian. I got to go to like <laughs> war. What's this war about? Um, but you know, I was also, I was specifically with Afghanistan. I was attached to a unit that I didn't really want to be there. They pulled me. I got pulled in because they needed an extra body in the public affairs slot. So they didn't care. I, I wasn't cared for. Um, I didn't enjoy being there. I was with this Texas unit. It was there was a whole lot of. There was a whole lot of anti-Semitism, a whole lot of like, you know, racial politics going on. It was a very, uh, it was very tumultuous. And uh, it was probably like the angriest I, I've been like when I was, when I was leaving. I, re- I was like, it interrupted major career movement for me. And, wow, yeah. But I had to go, but I had to go do it. And I've come up with this, with basically it's kind of like gladiator, win the crowd, win your freedom. There was nothing I could do about these circumstances, but to prevent it from being worse or from doing, um, you know, to 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 make sure that my mental health was okay, I did. I, I, I in the areas which I had control over, I tried to do the best I could. I got involved with as many different like programs. Um, you know, I was I was helping with wounded warriors. I got involved with the USO. Wow. I was everywhere. People knew me. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going to be gregarious. I'm going to be fun. I'm going to be like a that guy. 
So they'd be like, oh, we got you. We love you. Know, so just like a vibes guy again. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, we're like people were just happy to see you show up or knowing that the job was done because then no one was worrying about me or looking for me. And if no one was like worrying about me or looking for me, I could kind of do what I needed to do to keep my mental health and to do the stuff that I, you know, that I, you know, I could, I could forge more of my own free time to do my extracurricular activities in my free time. Because when I was like on the clock, I was like doing the most, but made sure that people saw me because like you were saying, yeah. like, people like work so hard and they think that if they do the work, but no one sees you doing the work, right. it's like you didn't do the work. And this is the biggest takeaway and not to be, you know cynical about the whole thing but like if you're if you're just doing the work to be a martyr like there's no there's no there is no reward for that there is no reward for that except that the work you do so you either have to love the work or make sure people fucking see you doing the work (laughs) i like i like this idea of walking around going i am taking the file to the copier i am at the copier hey guys do you need anything while i go to the copier if nothing else you will have the best time taking files to the copier (laughs) <laughs> right, right. No, I love this. I mean, well, the the interesting thing is one of the things that they talk about in this article is um, look to your coworkers. And I think you're kind of driving a little bit at that, which is that when I think back, I mean, I've had a million jobs. And when I think about the jobs that like kind of made me miserable, the thing that did that I think about are the fun times that I had with coworkers, right? right? And, you know, sh- you need coworkers to vent and gossip, but, but, Actually, you need coworkers because that's what makes it fun. Like right. people make a place fun. And mm-hmm. then if you are fun and you have a good attitude and then your coworkers are like that person's fun and then you have people to eat lunch with, the entire endeavor changes. It becomes a little micro party you get to go to every day. Um and so the idea like I I never discounted my coworkers because those were the people that were keeping me sane, they were making me laugh. Um, you know. It's funny because this this article says don't just vent and gossip, but man, venting and gossiping was so fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like in that setting where you're just like, ah, like the you know, and that. But the other thing is, uh, one of the things the article talks about is find honest and constructive ways of supporting one another. Um, You know, it was interesting because there there were things having nothing to do with work. I remember being at a job and I was with an artist and she. Uh, she was doing like a lot of still lifes and she needed people to sit for her. And so like me and another coworker like met up with her one day after work and we sat for her. She like painted us. You know what I mean? She was like, her goal was to be an artist. And it's like, cool, we met at work, which in which you're not an artist. And but like, this is your goal. Let's like make it happen. And it was fun. It was um, supporting her as a human felt really good. Um, so I feel yeah. like that's something you're, you know, you're driving it as like, be the guy that p- people can have a conversation with. That's cool. Uh, and I think it really boosts the mood. Another thing that they talked about was to get curious um, about your job, kind of like trick yourself into being more interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Interesting. Like, ask like what's inhibiting you. What can you do? What can you control? Um, meet with managers to discuss your aspirations and then ask for concrete feedback. So basically, like a, like ask a bunch of questions um, to see if there's ways you can kind of like make this thing more interesting for yourself and to trick yourself into being more interested in it. Maybe talk to other people, just spitballing like on LinkedIn who have the same job or follow some people who have the same job or something. So there's like hacks or something like that. There's a lot of reddits. I like follow a lot of reddits for just out of curiosity for people who talk about working at a front desk at a hotel or DoorDash drivers or um, people like talking about, cause I used to do Postmates, like tales from, you know, your, your uh, housekeeping staff or whatever, like, different people sharing different stories of of their jobs so that uh people can you know share what's going on or or be like hey also this happened to me or you know comment and write and and make it a little bit more oh like that's how you dealt with this problem at your work that's interesting like i could do that too. i don't know you know like just just having an outlet and it's a fr- i mean the internet's a quote unquote free outlet <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that it would help too 
Yeah, I love that. Another thing they talk about is um, recalibrating your expectations. So I think this is sort of something that applies to us in this time. The pandemic brought a lot of rebellion against work. We talked a lot about um, the great resignation, about quiet quitting. Um, The mindset was that like this job sucks. And um, and that kind of became pervasive, even if you maybe didn't necessarily think that your job sucked or, you know what I mean? It kind of became this this global this job sucks vibe. And um, I think the you know, the question that the article asks is like, how useful is that for you now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's so it's so irritating. But a lot of this is like the mindset, like be more optimistic. Um, is it realistic for you to have more expectations of this job than this job is going to, you know, yeah. like what is the job supposed to fucking give you like a euphoric zen? Like I, that's how is realistic are we to expect but that? I, of I think jobs? this is another kind of point, which is for so long, the job was who you were. And right. your job is not who you are. Mm-hmm. It's what you do. Yes. And, right. And what you do, like, okay, you might not like the, the job itself because it's work and you want to be doing something else, but you always have the opportunity to do the best you can at whatever you're doing. And that doesn't define you. Just because you're a data analyst all day doesn't mean that's your whole personality or your life. Right. So, right. like, if you focus on, like, okay, this is the job. I'm a data analyst, so I'm going to just fucking be an awesome data analyst, but I have all these other passions and I have all these other right. thoughts and I have other communities over here. Don't yeah. worry about your job defining you. You can define what it is to be that person in that job. And I think when you come at it with that this mentality. Is how, this is how the French do it, guys. Coming back. <laughs> let's always get in Paris. Paris which is, this is how the French do it. All right, folks, let me know. What do you think? Um, have you figured out a hack to make yourself happier at work? I'm so curious to hear. All right, that is the end of the show. Oh my God. I mean, you're both a couple of my all-time faves, um, listeners' faves. And what I want you to do is to tell the listeners where they can find you and follow all the wonderful things that you do. Benari Lee, Poulton, where do they do that? Uh, on whatever socials are still out there, at Benari Lee, B E N A R I L E E. As long as, I don't know. I mean, it's all burning to the ground, so... You know, there it is. There it is. Win the crowd, um, win your freedom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabe Dunn, where do they find you? Uh, yeah, I'm Gabe S. Dunn on Instagram. I'm mostly on Instagram. You can find out more about projects that I'm working on. Uh, one is at you and I, you and me film, which you can go to on Instagram. Uh, I have a podcast called Just Between Us. I have a podcast called Bad With Money. And I have a brand new show with River Butcher called The New Guys, which is uh, about it's a couple of trans guys talking about everything. So uh, you can go to any of those. And uh, yeah, but mostly you can find everything on Gabe S. Dunn on Instagram. I mean, I'm sure you devoted an entire episode to the fact that you're both fake the nation alum. Yeah, that's um, what we talked about. To say. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so exciting that you have a, a new pod with River. Thanks. Such a fan of you both. Mm, Folks, thank um, you. Subscribe to all the pods um, that Gabe just talked about. Uh, learn about the movie that they're hopefully going to go into production on soon. Um, and uh, and as for me, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. But I just want to remind listeners that I'm going to be in St. Paul on August 18th. And uh, Kansas City on August 19th. I'm going to be um, in Chicago. So that's for stand-up, the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up tour. Um, but then on, on August uh, 24th, I'm going to be in Chicago doing Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So a regular Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So if you're in Chicago that night, would love to see you. And um, otherwise, I want to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. That's our fantastic producer, Andrew McGuire. Um, our wonderful theme music was written by Gabby Alter. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a possibility. If you have any thoughts that you want to share with us, you can do that at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. And we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.